Isn't that a great way to get started for the day? I, that's an amazing start to the morning. I love the reminders of those, those songs. And, you know, this uh, last week or, you know, the last couple months, I'm a big sports fan, so I've been watching... I've been watching sports, and I was glad when they came back on, and I was even willing to say I'm fine watching people play in an empty gym. That's how much I missed sports. I even found myself watching golf, I, so I knew like I had something missing. And, uh, but one thing I loved on the World Series this year is in, for the World Series, they allowed, you know, I think they had 11,000 fans in there. And it's amazing how different it is having 11,000 fans in there as opposed to just the announcer like pushing applause, you know? And... and I was thinking about that and I realized it feels the same as we gather together. You know, I love that we can provide the online experience. I know there's a lot of you who are at home because of health reasons. We're so grateful we can provide that for you and and connect you as a part of the church. You're you're with us. We we love you. Um, But I also want to say it is so great to have fans in the stands. And not fans of me, but it's, it's, it's so great to be together um, and to be able to worship together. So indoors or outdoors, it, it's, it's just something happens when the church is together. So uh, it, it's, I'm ready for this morning. It's good. I want to invite Marion up, our preschool director. Where's Marion? Right in front row. Yeah. Come on up, Marion. Let me grab this microphone. Marion has, is, yes, Marion is, uh, she's been with us for about three years as our director of our preschool ministries and loves the kids and has done an amazing job just teaching them, loving them. She's entering a new stage of life called retirement, <laughs> which, which I, that, that sounds kind of amazing. So, um, so Marion is, uh, as today will be her last day. Um, I have her work until five and uh, getting get the next two months ready. Uh, but uh, so Marion has decided to uh, step away from her position here. She'll still be a part of Seacoast, um, but will be stepping out of her, her responsibilities here as a paid person, and now she'll be a volunteer. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but we're so glad. Uh, Mary, why don't you just tell us, what's something you're looking forward to in this next step or stage of life? Um, well, part of what has drawn me to make this decision is just increased family commitments and just... Um, it was hard to give 100% here and to the family, so I'm ready to pass the baton to somebody with a lot of love and passion and excitement um, to raise up the next generation of disciples and kids ministry, um, and just uh, kind of, I don't know if I know how to do this, but to kind of settle down and, and be still for a little bit, but definitely to continue volunteering here and loving on the kids, just taking a little bit of a break. Um, so I encourage any of you who have not volunteered in the kids' ministry, um, there's always a need, and believe me, even if it's once or twice a month, you'll bless those kids, and you will be blessed more than you ever imagined, so I encourage that. And I will be around, so I'm not saying goodbye. <laughs> no, and we're glad you're not saying goodbye, and I know if, uh, you know, two grandkid, uh, grandkids that you're, yeah, trying to be present for, and so we're... We're definitely hoping for that in this stage of, of your life, to be able to be there and be that godly influence in their lives. So, Thank you very much. It's been a sweet and blessed season. Yeah, well, we, we appreciate you and everything you've done. Let's let Marion know how much we appreciate her. And join me as we, as we pray for her as she goes, well, God, we thank you so much for Marion. We thank you so much for the time she's put in, the sacrifice she's put in, and for her genuine love and care uh, for our preschool age students and families and her genuine love for you that she's uh, trying to impart to those, the very youngest ones at Seacoast. And so we thank you for her. We're at, we ask great blessings on this next 
phase of her life, and we ask, Lord, that the time with grandkids and kids would just be completely, uh, just uh, your hand would be in it, and you'd be a present in those relationships. And so we thank you. We thank you for her and ask your blessing now as she goes. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Marianne. I think she's heading off to a kids' ministry party pretty soon. So, yeah, thanks a lot, so much. And, and if you see her today, make sure you say uh, thank you for all that she has done in, in the last three years. And, again, I'm glad it's not goodbye. Uh, it's just, you know, we'll be calling you to volunteer in two weeks. So, anyway. <laughs> I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 4. As we start, I, I have a confession to make. So I have a confession for you. There are times when I read stories in the Bible or passages in the Bible, and I read them, and they just make me uncomfortable. They make me uncomfortable because I look at them and I think, Okay, yeah, that was cool 2,000 years ago, but Lord, if we really, if you really want us to think this way or to live this way, I, I, I'm just not as comfortable with that. Is that okay for me to tell you that? Yeah, I know I work here. I know I'm, my, I'm paid to teach the scriptures, and so I teach them, and I believe in them, but some of them are, they, they just, they're hard for me to, they, they just make me uncomfortable, I, I like to look at them and think, well, Lord, I, I know that this is just, this is the olden days that we're reading about, so they, it doesn't quite apply. And as we get to the passage, and passages like the one today, these are perfect examples that I read and I say, okay, Lord, let, how can we make this easier than what I read on the pages? How can I make it kind of fit better to the way I want it to fit? compared to what I read. And so this is one of those. That's my confession as we start. But now, let me also say this. As I've been sitting with this text this week, I also believe that this is an exciting little piece of Scripture that I've been challenged by and encouraged with in incredible ways this week. And I think God has something He wants to encourage you with today. That there's something God wants you to hear. In fact, why don't you look at the person next to you and just say, God has something for you today. Go ahead, tell them. Let them know. And I don't know what that is, but I believe it. And so let's look at Acts chapter 4 as we start off here. Uh, we uh, have been kind of at the tail end of, of three weeks of a story of about, uh, about a man who was healed. And what happened after that is Peter and John who healed him got thrown into prison. And they kept saying, but we have to proclaim this message of Jesus. And that part of this, that section we've been studying ended in verse 31 where it said, and as they prayed, this is the church was gathered, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak the word with boldness. So our last story ends. They had a warning that says, if you keep teaching about Jesus, we're going to throw you in prison, we're going to throw you in jail, and it's going to get worse for you, so stop it. Just no more. No more healing, no more helping people. Just stop. And as they ended that section, as they were filled with the Spirit, they began proclaiming the Word of God with boldness. And then it gets into this week's section. So then the congregation of those who believed were with one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed anything belonging to him was his own. All things were common property. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses 
would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sale and sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed them to everyone who had a need. So this is the section of scripture we're looking at today. Now, do you know why sometimes I'm not comfortable when I read stuff? Because I look at this and think, well, oh, I, that, that, okay, how does that work today? That can't work. So let me just give you a few things to make us all feel better for a moment, and then I'll bring us back into discomfort, okay? So here's a couple things just for context for you to keep in your mind. The context is, and we've said this multiple times through the book of Acts, a lot of what we read the book of Acts, this is a description of life in the early church. It's describing what was happening among them. But it was not a prescription for how to live. In other words, we see how they applied the word of God lived out among them, but it isn't a prescription or a command to say you have to live this way, okay? So it's prescription, not, uh, it's a description, not prescription, okay, tracking? The other thing is this, this was a unique season in the life of the early church. One of the reasons why we see some certain miracles being performed and, and different miraculous things happening is because God was using it, moving in a unique way at a unique time in history to have his, the message of Jesus explode on the scene, and it certainly did. So there was power that came with the message that confirmed this message among the believers, and the believers were all, uh, the first believers were all Jewish converts. They were Jews who believed in the Messiah Jesus, and so the signs and wonders accompanied with them. So it was a unique time in history. Another part of what was happening with them is the early church, by and large, Jesus said, I'm going to leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and I will come back. And the early church believed not that he would come back sometime off in the future after Kirk Cameron had a, you know, a, a conversion moment as a reporter and left behind. Okay, never mind. So it wasn't that. They just thought he's coming back like probably pretty soon, like in a few weeks. They weren't thinking in year 2020 we'd still be waiting. They were thinking when he said come back, I wonder if he'll be here by Christmas because that would be, that'd be great timing. That would just be awesome. That would be just like the Lord. So they were expecting him in a matter of weeks and days. So that was kind of some of what uh, shaped their thinking. So when I think of those, I think, okay, whew, that makes it a little easier. Uh, the other thing is this, is not everyone in the early church sold all their stuff. We find that out very soon. And everyone who did, had, did it willingly. And if they did, they didn't have to give all of it to the church. So, okay, that makes me feel a little better. Okay, I think I can handle this. But now let's step back and to say, well, what does, what is really happening here? Because if you're like me, you read these, and then you try to find the way to explain it and say, yeah, but, yeah, it was different, yeah, all that. And then we kind of weasel out of it, so we go like, okay, let me just have a comfortable Christianity in 2020. I, I found a way to it. Now I can just have a comfortable life. I figured it out. But what about this should make us a little uncomfortable? What about the passage that we look at today can actually encourage and challenge us? And there's only two things I'm going to... Uh, focus on today. But before we even do that, I want you to notice something that's happening in this passage that's really important. Notice how verse 31 ends, when I already mentioned it, where they were proclaiming the word of God with great boldness. Also, notice right here in the middle, verse 33, with great power, the apostles were te giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So there's something happening here 
that what we see is what's happening is the early church was boldly and with great power proclaiming the message of Jesus. That is what the fuel for everything that was happening was centered on. It was the message of Jesus. And, and the message of Jesus, we, we will call it the gospel or the good news. Now, the good news isn't just, and it's important we get this, the good news isn't simply you're saved from your sins. That sometimes feels like the best part of the good news. Amen? You with me on that? Like, okay, I, I, have, I, I can be in heaven with God no matter how dumb I have been because Jesus' power and grace can cover all of my stupidity. That's amazing. That is good news. That's such a small part of it. Well, maybe not a small part of it, but it's just one part of it. Because the other part of the good news, as they proclaimed it, it isn't just the resurrection of Jesus and our hope of resurrection, but it's the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus and the resurrection. It's his life and his ways and what he gives to us. It's in Christ, not only do we have future life, but we have life now today. We've been rescued from the domain of darkness and been given and placed into the kingdom of light. It's God's kingdom. It's a kingdom of Jesus Christ where we have the life we are meant to live. Everything we need is in Christ. You with me on this? And so when we talk about proclaiming the good news, we're proclaiming life for today and for the future. And the early church got that. When they boldly proclaimed Jesus, they didn't just say, hey, this is amazing. You know what's amazing is one day, if you can just endure long enough, if you can just show up on a few Sunday mornings, go through some worship, maybe volunteer in the preschool ministry every once in a while, if you could just kind of make it through the end of all of this, you get heaven. Good news, but it's better than that. It's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we get heaven because between here and now, we are now part of the kingdom of God. And what happens in an election in three days from now isn't going to change your quality of life. It may change certain things about your life. It may change certain things about your business. I get it. It might change all of that. But ultimately, if our life is based on Jesus Christ, what happens on the highs and lows and all of that isn't going to take away that abundant life that's found in him. Amen? I feel like preaching today, so, you know, we're going. <laughs> so they proclaimed the word of God with boldness. And then we see what's happening. So what I want to focus on is just two things. What happens when the focus is on Jesus and the message of Jesus? What happens? And there's two thoughts for you today. The first one is this. A focus on the message of Jesus leads to a united church. It leads to a united church. What do I mean? Look at this in verse uh, 32. The congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. The Greek word there, soul, can be translated soul. Sometimes it's used for mind. It, it is essentially you have the emotion and the intellect of the church was united. What they were passionate about and what they thought about was united. Why was it united? Because they were focused on the message of Jesus and that brought unity among the church. They were of one mind. It's easy as a church to focus on a whole bunch of other things. There's church growth strategies. There's what, how are we going to build the youth ministry and the 
kids' ministry and what does music look like on a Sunday morning and what do our facilities look like and how are we caring for the poor and all of those things are part of modern church and those are good and those are important and that's why we have a staff who learns and grows and invests in doing that better. But if our focus isn't on the message of Jesus, all of those are just things to do. See, here at Seacoast, we say, and hopefully you've heard this before, we exist to help people discover life in Jesus. We exist to help, you dis- to help people discover life in Jesus. When we say that, we mean for some of you who are hearing this right now, discovering life in Jesus might be for your very first time. Moving from a place of no faith or wandering or trying to believe to finding faith in Jesus. For some of you, it means that you've always kind of maybe believed, maybe even grew up in the church, but for you, you haven't quite discovered that life. We want to invite you back, or you've wandered from the life. We want to invite you into a life in Jesus. For others of you, you were born on Saturday. You were in the nursery on Sunday. You were at your midweek program learning Bible verses on Wednesday night. Your first week, you were ready to go. A month in, you were already volunteering in the church. I mean, some of you, that is your story. And we want you to discover life in Jesus for where you are now in your life. Because it doesn't just happen once. It's a lifelong journey. And the joy of focusing on Jesus and knowing him and helping others discover that life is the greatest joy we can find. It truly is. The early church was experiencing that. We have some exciting things as elder board that we're praying about and dreaming about that we want to be better at focusing on the message of Jesus and helping these people discover life in Christ. In the year ahead, you're going to hear more and more about it. We've been praying for years about how do we do a better job reaching our community. And, and we have praying and in the works now, planning what would that look like to hire a community pastor who, who can help us reach that community better and launch a service that's in a second language, so Spanish service, but not in the afternoon, not in a, a, the, the B time slot, but co- happening while we're meeting, same time, so we can be one church, not two churches, that's trying to reach more and more people for Christ. It's something we're really praying about. I invite you to pray with us on this as we're saying, what would that look like, Lord? Because that has a lot of implication. I'm setting up a focus group of people who's going to meet with me. All of these are much younger than me, this group of people. One of them includes someone who's a Christian who loves the Lord, is in his 20s. Someone else is a Christian but walked away from the church. Someone else in the focus group I'm inviting in was a Christian, says no longer is a Christian. A couple other people in my focus group are people who are not Christians, and the purpose, and they're agreeing to do this, and the purpose that I'm asking them is, how can we reach you? If we're going to help you discover life in Jesus, what is that going to look like? What do we need to do? And it's kind of fun to have that conversation with people who don't believe. And some of the things they say, I think I can already predict. But some of what they say, I'll probably go, ooh, that'll be uncomfortable. If we do that, let's see, who won't like it? But if we want people to discover life in Christ, I'm willing to give up my comfort for the sake of someone else knowing Jesus forever. And the early church got that. They were with one heart and one mind because the focus was on Jesus. It wasn't on what each member wanted for themselves. Their citizenship was somewhere else. So the first thing is, the focus on Jesus led to a united church. The second one is this. Focusing on Jesus led to or leads to changed hearts. 
and changed values. What do I mean by that? Let's look at this again, this passage. It said they were of one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. They shared everything they had. They were willing to sell what they had to give it. It said lay it at the apostles' feet. Essentially, that just meant that was a, a, a legal transaction to say, this now, we are handing it over to you to use for the good of the kingdom of God. And they took care of the, the needs of the poor and the needy among them. And we'll see that pop up over and over again in the book of Acts. Now, that was not a new idea in the Jewish faith. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, it says this, There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your brothers and towards the poor and needy in your land. So, back in Deuteronomy, a, a, a command given to the very people who are part of the early church, they were told, hey, you're always going to have the poor among you, so be open-handed. Open your hands to them. So this wasn't a new command. But it didn't quite get to their hearts. But when you see changed hearts, we find changed values. And they started looking at their stuff, and they said no one claimed it to be their own. I was completely geeking out this week with the Greek and playing with it a lot and just trying to understand that. And that the best translation we have is this of... It, to understand it is it's not their own, but essentially the words there are, they didn't consider it private to them. They didn't consider their stuff their private stuff. I, I'm, that's hard for me, I gotta tell you. Even my stuff that's old, and, and I don't mind if I mess it up, it's, it's my old stuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and if someone's like, hey, can I borrow your old this? I'm like, ah, I don't know. Last time someone borrowed my surfboard, I came back and I was missing a fin, I'm like, seriously? Missing a fin? On a, and, and yeah, I don't ever use that surfboard, but something about that didn't sit right. <laughs> the early church would have given their surfboard. No, that's not the application. <laughs> change hearts lead to change value. They started seeing their stuff and said, it's not private to me. It's not mine. It's God's stuff. No longer do I see this as stuff that I earned for my good, but it's every good and perfect gift is from above, and, and this life I have is given to me from God. I don't know if many of you know the story of the founder of Chick-fil-A. I learned about the founder of Chick-fil-A a little bit this week. Some of you are grateful for the founder of Chick-fil-A. Anyone out there kind of grateful? Yeah, some of you. Is it for the chicken sandwiches or more? Yeah, so uh, S. Truett Cathy. Ended up starting Chick-fil-A. He grew up in the Depression, lost a brother in World War I, uh, or sorry, World War II, and uh, he and another brother started the first Chick-fil-A, and they uh, grew their empire, or he grew the empire to over a billion-dollar industry. But generosity has been a part of his DNA from the very, very beginning. In fact, S. Truett Cathy says this, It's okay to have wealth, but keep the wealth in your hands, not in your heart. I love that. He said, because when it's in your hands and when you see a need, you can let it go and meet it. And it's a lot harder to let it go when it's in your heart. See, changed hearts lead to changed values. And the early church saw their stuff kind of move from their heart to their hands. And they said, we want to be used by God. We want to see how, what God has gifted us. And by the way, one thing that Truett uh, Cathy talks about is it's not just your treasures, in the church, we often have the three T's. He talks about them, your time, your treasures, and your talents. 
that we want to be open with. He added a fourth. He added, and your touch. Be available to be present with people. Esther and Kathy actually set up over 12 foster homes that each raised, had one foster ham, family that he paid to live there and to raise the kids. They've raised over 144 foster kids. They've sent thousands to camp every summer. And all of this, and before he died, he had taught eighth grade boys Sunday school for 50 years. For 50 years. This is not someone who said, hey, I, you know, I, I'm busy. I'm running an empire here. He said, Sunday morning is about me investing. One of my favorite things I do is invest in these junior high boys. And I know most of you wake up in the morning like, you know what would be awesome? Hanging out with some junior high boys right now. <laughs> if it's not your heart or your passion or your gifting, don't do it. <laughs> but what if it is? For 50 years, he led even with his time. He kept it in his hands, not his heart. The early church learned to keep it in their hands and not their, their heart. And it starts to redefine even how we look at life. One of the things I really loved, again, from S. Truett Cathy, who founded Chick-fil-A, he said, on Sunday mornings, we're closed. We've always been closed on Sundays. And it's a testimony to those busy shopping centers where everyone is going frantic pace on Sundays and they see an empty, dark building. It's a testimony that what we value more than money is we value time with family. We value worship. And so I, I have this new appreciation for driving by Chick-fil-A. Now, I, I wish it tastes as good as Popeye's, I gotta confess, but I, I, I do like that when I drive by on a Sunday, I see it and I say, wow, how much more money can you make if you're open that extra day of the week on a weekend? But it wasn't that. It was so his people could have time with family and worship. He given, gave out over $23 million in scholarships to high schoolers and college students who sell chicken sandwiches for him. Open hands. Open hands. One thing he talked about is he defines this. The difference is sometimes we live for success, but there's a difference between living for success versus significance. See, if you live for success, you're always measuring it by how much wealth you have, what your achievements are, or what is your status. So success is about wealth, achievement, and social status. And those you never have enough. You can always have more of all of them. But with significance, he said, instead of wealth, I measure my life by generosity. Instead of achievement, I measure my life by service, what I can do for others. And instead of status, I measure my life by relationships. Who have I invested in? Truett Cathy also wrote a book called It's Easier to Mend Men. I mean, easier to build boys than to mend men. It's better to invest and give up my life early on for others. See, I wonder if what the church would look like if we were centered so much on Jesus that we said, God, how you've made me and what you've blessed me with is yours. 
And by the way, if we all sold our stuff and gave it to the church today, that would be awesome for a little while, but eventually we would run out. So there's a parable of the talents in scripture that says, as God gives you what you have of your time, talents, treasures, use those for the kingdom. And, and as, we got, as you use it for the kingdom, often you'll find that to he who has much is even given more. There's different capacity in us. And I'm not saying you give to get. But it's okay. It, we don't all sell your stuff, okay? We need you to continue to have jobs and continue to invest, but to use what God has given you. Let's move it from our hearts to our hands and say, God, how would you use me today? A few years back, well, quite, I guess it's been a while now. I'm at that age now when I say a few years back, and they're like, you mean 20 years ago? Um, but it was about 10 years ago or so, 12 years ago, uh, I was working as a youth pastor, and we had a pretty large youth ministry, and uh, we had a house and a couple kids, and, and I guess that's more than 12 years ago. See, there, I'm doing it again. We were doing pretty well, um, and every year at our church, somebody gave a Christmas bonus to the staff, and I don't know how much everyone got, but we would get a stack of $100 bills, which was really cool. When you're a youth pastor, that's pretty cool, and, uh, and I never asked anyone else what they got or did they get it either because I didn't want to say like, hey, I got 800 bucks. They'd be like, that's it. So I didn't, I didn't want to have that conversation uh, with any of them. But so I, I, he used to give about that much every year and it was, it was amazing. And one year I looked at my wife and said, you know, we have been so blessed and have everything we need. And we have friends who are uh, inner city missionaries and working with youth in a really tough area. And I know that we supported them, but they were always struggling. And so we got in a habit of on Christmas time, we'd go and I'd see them and say, hey, you know, take that money and just hand it over to them. Now, that sounds pretty impressive. Oh, thank you, Ryan, for all that. But the truth is, that was never my money. Yeah, it was given to me, but it was God's. And we'd give it to him, and I knew it was a blessing. Now, fast forward. That's not the story. Several years later, we had just moved back. We lived in the Middle East. We was working on some postgraduate education. We came back. It was 2007, 2008. The economy crashed. We decided to plant a church because why not? Great time to do it. Came back now. I didn't just have two kids. I had three kids and a dog, and we were planting a church. I was working multiple jobs, and times were tough. We were scraping to get by. We learned why people don't just shop at one grocery store. Shopping at one grocery store is a convenience of those of us when we have enough money. But we learned that the 99-cent store on Tuesdays and Thursdays had a shipment of fresh produce and food. So we started going, okay, you got to be there early, pick through that. you got to go to this grocery store for this food. You know, we had to figure that out. Some of you, you live that way. You get it. You're like, I'm with you, Ryan. It was tough. We were working at a church plant. We met at night. And it was a, I loved the group in the church. And one night, one of our, he's about 24 years old, struggling in his faith. He said, hey, can I take you out for sushi after church? And I was like, are you kidding me? Heck yeah, you could take, to have tuna that I didn't take, eat out of a can? Yes, that would be awesome. So he took me out for sushi. We ate and he was there and it was around Christmas time. And he said, I don't know why, but I feel like I need to give this to you. And he gave me a little envelope. And when I got home, I opened it up. It was $800. And it was so cool. I was like, first of all, that $800 to me then was like 10 grand. I was like, are you kidding me? And I didn't tell Sarah because I got, no, I didn't. <laughs> it's like, what a blessing. And it didn't take till, it took a few years from then for me to realize like, oh, weird. That was that much that we used to give to our friends. And there's something amazing about the kingdom of God when you're all together and you're united 
and the focus is on Christ. And you look at your stuff, you look at your time, you don't say, ah, I don't have time for that. You look at the talents that God has blessed you with, and you say, how can I use this for his kingdom? And all of a sudden, this beautiful thing happens where people are discovering life in Christ, and none of that ever feels like a burden. We're going to end our time here, and as the worship team comes up, we're going to transition to a time of communion. So hopefully you received uh, one of these on your way in. If you did not, we have some in the back. Our COVID communion cups, I know they are not the best tasting. (laughs) But this is representative of what we're talking about here today. And if anyone needs a communion cup, we have someone walking around with a basket. Just lift up your hand. We have some over here. You know, we come to a time of communion and we come to the bread. Jesus looked at his disciples before he died and when he had his last meal with them, he said, you know, this bread, this is the body that's broken for you. And really what he was saying was so much more than just this ritual that we do, but it was really saying the promise and everything you're hoping in and the Messiah, that was in me. So when we take the bread, we remember the life of Jesus, not just his death and resurrection. We also remember his life, the life he lived. We remember what that does in the church. And so, as a church, when we come to this point in our regular worship, we take the bread. Know that we call this communion because it is common. It is us together. Remembering that what Christ has done is the one thing that unites us more than anything else. And so, church, let's together take this bread, this body that was broken for you and for me, to provide the life that we're meant to live because of Christ. Let's take this in remembrance together. And at that last supper, Jesus took out the cup, and the cup represented a covenant. The covenant was a promise made by God. And Jesus said, this cup represents a covenant in my blood. What he meant was, my blood that's about to be shed for you is a promise I am making to you. That what my life and death and resurrection will accomplish cannot be taken back. It's my promise to you. So when we as a church take this cup, this juice, it reminds us of the promise God made that none of your sins of the past, present, and future can overcome this promise. None of your failures, none of your struggles with selfishness, none of the things that you doubt and wrestle with is enough to break the promise that Jesus made for you and for me. So you sit among a bunch of people who have broken the promise, but who are sitting under the promise of a God who will never break his. And that unites us together. So as we take this, let's take this together as sinners who are saved or more like because of Jesus, as saints who sin, but because of what Christ has done, our identity is new. Let's take this together. Jesus, we thank you now. In this symbol of unity, of remembering your life, your death, your resurrection, Lord, Let it be the one thing that unites us as a church. 
We don't unite around music. We don't even unite around who's teaching. We don't unite around the colors of the carpet. We don't unite around our youth ministry or kids ministry. Lord, we unite around you and the boldly proclaiming the message that in you life is found. So Lord, I pray that today those who do not yet know you would enter into that relationship. And those who already do, God, would you remind us of what life looks like in your powerful name. Amen. Why don't we stand outside, inside, at home. Let's stand as a sign of unity together and share in this one last song.